Good morning, everyone. What is up? Good afternoon. Good evening. Whenever you're listening to this show, I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together twice a week, we get to go down the rabbit hole of that is Bitcoin and crypto, understanding uh, what is happening right now, who's building what, why are we so passionate and excited about it uh, every single day, uh, who are the the some of the early OGs? Who are some of the the people that like really love our industry, but they're politicians or they work for other companies, but they they're figuring out how to connect it and and figure out like what to do um, to really like weave this nuanced narrative uh, to really like figure out how this movement kind of came to be. And I love I love that. Thank you guys for for giving me uh, the ability to do this show. It's we're doing like almost at episode 300 now and and it's three and a half or four years, three and a half years into the show. And I was just thinking about this morning, how grateful I am uh, to have this. Um, I got to see uh, Elton John last night in concert and he was like, he played his new song, Cold Heart, which was amazing. And then um, he played, he's like, and that was my new hit. Thank you for giving me that. And this was my first hit, your song. And that was his first hit, your song, that he became like a big star at the Troubadour. And, and it was just kind of cool to see someone who's had this like 52 year span career. And it's not, it's nothing to do with, with Bitcoin or crypto. I just, I'm, I'm mind blown by it. I was, I, it was a religious experience last night. I, I was really blown away. But, uh, but here to talk about completely something unrelated is Dr. Julian Hosp, CEO and co-founder of Cake DeFi. I actually really enjoy following you on Twitter as well. Thanks for coming on Untold Stories today. Charlie, it's an absolute honor. Uh, looking forward to having that uh, conversation, yeah. Do you uh, like Elton John? I do like him, but he wouldn't be like probably an, an artist that like would come to mind like first thought if I would put on a good song or something. I know. Uh, Me neither. Yeah. And it just, but dude, it just... where did he perform? I mean, like I would definitely, I mean, I would go to a concert. Like if he would be performing in Singapore, like absolute no-brainer, like legend, right? But he wouldn't be the the person that I would be like, okay, let's put on a great song, and then it would be like Elton John or something, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, and that's honestly what what um what surprised me the most was that I had not built up these expectations for what the show would be. I thought I only knew the normal songs, Betty and the Jets, and and some of these other songs like uh, uh I can't even remember that right now, like your song, and then um, but then I, when you get there, it's just it's just an elevating experience, but maybe it was like being in a 50,000 person arena yeah. in Tampa with all these people. And like you, even though COVID has been kind of over, hopefully not knock on wood, but um, it was a different, it was nice. You, you human beings in a big, in one location together. There's something about that. I can't explain it. And maybe people, that's people why have been missing, uh, missing yeah. it over the past years. Don't you think? I think they really like been, yeah, yearning for going out, meeting each other. Uh, yeah, I, I really think that that interconnection, like Zoom or yeah, all the kind of virtual stuff. I, I don't think it can replace the, the actual like connection. Yeah, no, I agree. The uh, during the years that we were all under lockdown is when really DeFi exploded and this whole industry took off in another way. A lot of a lot of projects. Uh, were launched and because people were home. So it was like, you look at that springboard effect, it's like, okay, people were stuck home all the time, but we saw the advent of like new technologies, like actually probably Web3 mainstreamed as a term during COVID lockdowns. So now people are like, hmm, maybe, you know, hanging out in the virtual world isn't so bad. I like the idea of watching Netflix with my friends with my potential NFT avatar, even if it's something like trivial from the beginning. But I think it also gave people a little bit more being okay with the idea of things being more digital. For example, your home equity line of credit, your mortgage, uh, your your identification, uh, certain type of like being able to do things more digitally. We've like, don't you think we've like kind of crossed that point of no return? I don't know. I think yes and no. I think um, on the one hand, sure. I think suddenly like doing a Zoom meeting is totally normal. But then on the other hand, I really feel right now people are really pushing back. Like, I mean, I'm based in Singapore, right? So we have had, we've been locked on the island. So Singapore was quite open on the island, but the, the borders were kind of locked. And so what I just feel right now is where people are like, okay, let's meet. Like, let's go out. Let's do, I, I feel it's a bit, I don't know. I think there's this thing now to push back because 
I don't know, if you've always had something for one and a half years, if you now can have something else, I don't know. I feel like oh, I see this in my company, right? I mean, uh, over the past, yeah, especially two years, I mean, it's been a roller coaster ride that had only one direction. And I do expect, right, that, I mean, I think also we see this in crypto in general, but I do expect over the next couple of years, I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's a free lunch. Um, I, I just don't think so. So we've had this marvelous ride over the past two years. I expect the next two years are going to kind of counter that a bit. Not that I'm like super bearish, but I think it's probably going to be under or like below average. That's just my expectation. Maybe, maybe I'm just trying to be like realistic, but um, yeah, I just, I, I just don't think that like we can compound at these rates that we compounded over the past two years. It's true. A lot of people are really feeling it. it, it prices of everything has been going up. I was just looking at flights this morning somewhere. It's just ridiculous how... It's the cost of goods. I don't even like to use that term inflation. Just the cost of goods and services that you're used to has gone up exponentially. And, and, and you know, earnings and things like that have not followed, especially for, for huge segments of, of the world population. So there's definitely that, that push and pullback. But maybe we'll see like kind of the, the cutting out of middlemen and the ability for people to save fees and do things more efficiently or be more like, specific on what they actually like and want to do uh, trim the fat a little bit. You know, like every few years you have to trim the fat. You have to see who's in your life that you need to keep, who you need to let go. Maybe we do that with how we spend or what we take more seriously. I, I saw this, like we're talking about Florida. It's like this mass retirement happened down here during COVID. It was like, it's a whole, it's almost impossible to in Florida. It's almost impossible to like, live a, the, the New York lifestyle or whatever that old lifestyle is growing up where it's like highly, highly productive because uh -huh. you want to just enjoy the, you don't, you don't like work for, for a few months to go take two weeks of vacation. You work for four hours to take another four hours vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think this is a very, I, I seriously think it's a very philosophical question. I mean, uh, I, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist by no mean, right? But if you listen to the Bitcoin maximalists, they're, philosophy right now is look at where fiat money is getting us. Um, we, sh if, if we had Bitcoin for everything, countries couldn't finance the war. There wouldn't be this excessive spending. You would have to live within your means, right? You would have this more linear kind of growth. And I mean, I think they would be hundred percent right. And I think we wouldn't see that kind of hyperinflation or the hyper like increase of cost of goods as you kind of described it. But then the other question is, right. Um, I don't know. Is like, I don't know, life is about the ups and downs, right? It's, it's like, it's the amazing parties with the insane hangovers that you remember, not like the super boring night when you were just lying in bed. I don't know. I, I always kind of like, I get it that at, the, that at the moment, like people are suffering and I don't expect this to get easier over the next two years. I think it's going to get worse, but I don't know. I, 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 again, I come out of, I don't know. I come out of extreme sports, right? Yeah. For me, there was a lot of, like injuries, incredible kind of action. I was a professional kite surfer, right? So it was like insane. So you lived at the on the edge, and I think that what that that's what made it so exciting. So I don't know. I always see a bit of the both sides there, right? So yeah, cut the fat, but I don't know. I I wouldn't. I don't know if uh if uh like if no fiat, no no possibility for for any stimulus is is the right thing. I think maybe uh, over the past two years, central banks overdone it. I, I completely agree, but I I don't think society would be where it is. Um, had we always been on a, on a, let's say on a gold standard, um, again, I know this is a very counter opinion, like from someone that has, that's been in crypto now for eight years. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know how you see that, but that that's me. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that the Satoshi Bitcoin experiment kind of talks about taking hundreds of years to take, you know, to happen. And, and this like very slow Bitcoin, uh, a growth into the world economies, balance sheets, Federal Reserve balance sheets backed by Bitcoin. The idea of Bitcoin was to have this asset that kind of like transcended the world that uh, all people could be able to join and hold and transact on a very equal playing field and then be able to build services on top of that. I think like that, that's why I started like the, the Bitcoin Foundation to just, that was written in the bylaws. It was that specific reason. And then, uh, crypto and Bitcoin became something very crazy and very different. I, I take this show to focus on uh, what I love about, about the industry, where it is today, where it came from. 
But I'm like you, I mean, I've been through like 12 of these bull and bear markets and, and it's exhausting to have to manage your life based on these like things. And, and, but actually this is a really good segue into what you do because I was just yelling, uh, uh, I was just yelling at my uh, writers team the other day. Cause we write uh, on investor place a lot, uh, com. I write for investor place. And I'm like, guys, we need to talk about yield. We need to teach people how to use their crypto to earn monthly yearly income for them. Because in the end, all assets that earn yield and do things will end up being on a blockchain as whether they're like an NFT or their ERC 721 or, or 1155 or whatever it is, uh, that's, what's, that's what the future is going to be. So you have to get comfortable with that. Now you have to get comfortable with, with joining USD. And I actually want to join your USDC uh, uh, DFI pool. I was checking that out this morning. So kind of tell me about Cake DeFi and, 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 and like, what is yield and why in crypto are, is, it, is it normal to get something like at minimum six or 7% where banks, where if you go on the street and someone offers you that percentage right now, even with inflation, you're like, what's the scam? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in, and especially in DeFi, a lot of people ask, so why the yield so high, right? In comparison to like CeFi. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I actually don't think if we have the same kind of number of people, the same kind of liquidity in DeFi as we have in, in CeFi or TradeFi, the yields would be the same. Like they would be as low. It's just that there's such an arbitrage at the moment it's an information arbitrage. 99%, even let's say 95% of all crypto people don't understand DeFi they, they, or they, they never dabbled into it. I got into DeFi actually through my co-founder, Yuzin. He's Singaporean. He's in, in, in crypto. I, I think you probably the two of you got into that space super at the same time. He's Singaporean. So he got in Singapore, started one of the first exchanges here in Singapore, like over like 12 years ago. And he talked to me, he constantly kept talking to me Dude, like DeFi, that's the next thing. Like people are going to want to get yield on that. And three years ago, we started Cake DeFi as a, it's a centralized company. So I get it that like people are so confused about Cake DeFi. So why is it like DeFi if it's actually CeFi? I get it. But three years ago, when no one was talking about DeFi, for us, it was all about having this regulated company that makes access into decentralized finance super easy. And so for us, it was all about onboarding people that don't want to do it themselves natively in the blockchain. So we get the blockchains on in the back end. We do staking, lending, liquidity mining. Uh, last year, we started with uh, decentralized tokenization, bringing D-Tesla and so on, like onto the platform, super easy. Um, we're going to have futures, options, all on a decentralized kind of uh, basis, decentralized loans. Um, again, all the products and services actually done by the blockchains. And for us, it's we're just a facilitator providing super easy access. Um, yeah, to the U.S., uh, if you're in the U.S., um, lending is excluded for you uh, for yeah, obvious reasons. Uh, but uh, the, that's a shame. Yeah. yeah, I feel like every every uh, every one of my uh, uh, guests has to say something similar like that. It's like as a U.S. citizen, you're basically locked out of all crypto, but institutional capital and a lot of the the capital inflow comes from from the US and then the countries that kind of follow its regulations. So it's like there needs to be some sort of like gap breaking that happens already. But th that'll come. That'll come. Um, no, I get what you're saying. And I like that you kind of like said that from the outset, because this is a really important thing. There is DDFI. And to yeah. be full, first of all, decentralization is a huge spectrum. And if you're going to want to do something and be truly decentralized on like DeFi, if you at least go through one middle, like centralized hop, then there's no point of doing it. So it's like, you're talking about something someone's saying, oh, I'll take my Bitcoin and turn it into wrap Bitcoin and then join DeFi. So, well, let's not DeFi because you have Correct. to turn your Bitcoin into yeah. wrap Bitcoin. Now, and I also think like- <laughs> Something wrong with that. Probably less than 5% of all people in crypto can actually really kind of use real DeFi. Like they can understand the difference between like what's real DeFi, what's not real DeFi. They can actually manage the private keys. They can actually deal with all this stuff. Um, I think 95% of people really, really, really struggle with that. And yeah, and, and, and that's kind of the target audience for us. Um, oh, I love it. I love that because yeah. I like to use, I actually like to use most CFI. I like to look for those regulated companies like yourself that do these things because, you know, you have a lot of us in crypto, we're, we're so, we're, we're so like, we're taking our risk of going long a lot of these coins and tokens 
So to do it in a fully decentralized way sometimes increases that risk, where if you do it with a regulated company, and that's why a lot of people want clarification on regulations, if you do it through a regulated company, then at least there's a know that there's a, a bankruptcy process, there's a, there's a process for that, there's legal due process, and it's like, oh, that's really shitty. But the point is that if you have like a seven-figure balance and they're regulated in the U.S. and there's like a process for that, you can then potentially borrow against that claim. There are like regulated mechanisms to protect yourself, where if there's a C DeFi, my friend walked in the hallway before I started the show this morning. He's like, yeah, I got rug pulled on this NFT the other day. And we just, yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. What are you going to no, do? I, full on, full on. I know I, I agree. And I mean, look, people come to us and they're like, yeah, but dude, you control my private keys. And I'm like, I get it. Like, if that is like what you're worried about, don't come to us, right? Then just do it natively. Like all the services, like you can use them all natively. The, the, for us, like you come to us because you don't want to pay any fees to us. You're okay in getting a smaller yield. So we take a cut out of your yield. Uh, and, and you want to have a customer support. You want to have the handholding. Great. If you don't like that, like, again, go to like the blockchain itself, download the wallet, MetaMask or whatever, and just do this natively. For us, again, I think the, the, the future there, right? And, and that's, I think, like, and I think, I, I don't know if native blockchains can actually do it. I doubt it. It always needs kind of centralized platforms doing that. It's like this kind of smart kind of aggregator where let's say a customer comes to us and says, I got Bitcoin, I got ETH, I got Tether or USDC. Let me diversify, like click of a button. I want to diversify into six different protocols. I don't know. Some are like compound. They have been existing for quite some time now. Yeah. It's a bit lower. I want to go into some of the kind of newer ones, crazier ones. I don't know. Yes, I'm okay if some of that USDC. It's almost like USDC. you can build yeah, a spreadsheet, yeah. like build a spreadsheet and then have it execute in a decentralized way across one smart. It's, there needs to be like a protocol that can exist on top of like maybe like if you did it with the Cosmos SDK or something, then you can do it across all of them. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of different blockchains that use that the SDK there. So so you could do you, you could move assets in a decentralized way. But like you said, I don't know how you do that with Bitcoin. I've invested in a company called Mintlayer that's supposed to be building, as I see it, the most it's the most decentralized solution for being able to uh, to do like DeFi and to do smart contracts with your Bitcoin. But even that, there still is a little bit of that centralized uh, uh, giving up that you have to do. You've go a little bit back on the spectrum there. Do you think that's going to be okay in the future? Like, where do you think this world is going to exist uh, five years from now? I mean, we see this on Bitcoin today. Uh, I think hands down, Bitcoin is the most decentralized blockchain there is out there. And even on Bitcoin, I mean, I see this on our platform, right? So we work with all the, like, all the regulator kind of tools, right? Cyphertrace, chain analysis, elliptic, and so on, right? We have all, like, we need to use those. I mean, you do something illegal instantly. Like, I get messages from them, I think, on a daily basis. Yeah. This address has been flagged. This Sure, you may kind of be able to transact on the Bitcoin blockchain outside, but you're not going to be able to get anywhere close to an exchange or any kind of platform. So then the question really becomes to me, how much are your UTXOs worth out there if no exchange or no centralized platform is ever going to accept them, right? So I don't know. Um, I just don't see so you think decent... So, so UTXO tracking on Bitcoin, is that something that's, that's really uh, uh, in the background happening on exchanges and things like that? And how prevalent is that? Oh, 100%. I know it happens on like Ethereum and all these other blockchains, but I, I mean, how do you taint UT, how do you taint unspent outputs and inputs? Like, I don't, we, make... I mean, we have this constantly. We have where like if UTXOs get basically sent to us, we constantly have to track and trace with the probability how how high is the taintedness? What's the risk factor? Do we have to return them? Like we have this constantly. Like we, we are not at that level yet, but you see like companies actually starting with Satoshi tests where if you want to deposit to an actual exchange or a platform, you actually need to send very small, tiny amounts first. The, they get checked on the taintedness and then you can actually send from the same address the, the, the full amount. Are we being slowly squeezed from, from, from the regulators here? Like, is that what's happening? Are we going to be like centralized? I mean, at some point, a, a, a huge flourishing decentralized tainted coin market appears. And if you have all these unspent tainted coins, you don't think services are going to launch that 
I mean, it's just the nature of blockchains. I mean, don't the regulators kind of sure. see that happen? That's no, what's going to happen. I mean, I, I mean, there's a, 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 a like a rabbit hole we can go down. I, I just think that the future in, in crypto, whether we want to or not, is going to be like non-custodial, custodial, and I think that that system is going to be very difficult to kind of really overlap. It's just like it's just like in the real banking world, right? I mean, if 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 you transfer, let's say you transfer a million dollars from one bank to another, yes, you may get questioned, but if you have like some documentation, a million dollars should be no problem transferring it from one bank account to another. Try to come with a million dollars in cash and deposit that into a bank. Like almost impossible. Why would you so, have a million dollars cash in the first place? Right? That's their question right? would so, be, yeah. Exactly. And it's going to be a very similar kind of scenario, in my opinion, what all regulators around the world are going to try to do with crypto. Is this stoppable? I, I just think that as a, as a user, right? And so like, like let, let's take my CEO hat off and, and become an investor. As an investor, I think you always want to kind of participate in both systems there. You want to be non-custodial, you want to be custodial. I guess what's, what scares me is that, was that, is that regulations for specific companies like yourselves are wonderful and great and we need more clarity, but regulations obviously favor the wealthy and the bigger companies and the people that can be in these systems social credit scores, you know, financial credit scores, not, I'm disenfranchised, basically. Me as, as Charlie Shrem as a felon, I'm disenfranchised from the larger US financial system. Every time I walk into a bank to get a bank account, most crypto companies, Bitcoin companies, I fail, KYC. I'm okay, I talk about it on the show all the time. Use me as the example. So it's like, here, I can't even be in the system that I helped to create just because of, I exist on a spreadsheet somewhere. How many other disenfranchised people are there in the world just because the color of their skin or they say something that their governments don't like or they're, 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 they're you know, uh, section, you know, I don't there are terms I can't even say because I'll probably get cancel culture nowadays, but whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. But it's, I get kicked off. I'll get kicked off YouTube and shit like that. My distribution. I don't even care about YouTube. Kick me off YouTube. Uh, but it's like, it's, it's crazy. I, I couldn't agree more. Like, we, I mean, I see this myself, right? I see as the platform, what are we allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do? And it's at the end, like we have to reject certain people where I'm like, that person probably did nothing to deserve that. Nothing, right? That person just has the wrong passport. It's not that person's fault. And, and, and we get these emails, right? I mean, these are sometimes really heartbreaking emails. People are like, yeah. it's not my fault. Please, can you just accept me? Like I, yeah. And I don't know. Like, I get it. I, yeah, it sucks. Right. I sit there and I'm like, dude, I have, yeah, my, my only then advice is go natively onto the blockchain. I mean, it sucks. Right. Because you, I agree. With every problem, there has to be a solution and we can kind of like throw out some ideas and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm actually interested. I want to talk a little bit more about yields and, and vaults and, and why, like, if you're long two tokens, like if you're holding like near protocol and USDC, why you shouldn't just be keeping them in a wallet, potentially using them because you can provide liquidity. People, a lot of people don't really understand how that works and why that works and things like that. But yeah, like I'm still, I want to go back to that, to that regulation conversation for a second. So like I had always hoped that regulations would be put not on the blockchains themselves, rather the companies that exist, the toll booths, like to go in and out of the ecosystem. And then at the same time, maybe, maybe like federated blockchains that have the due process for entering and exiting, maybe that could be built into the chain itself. Like, like there's a few different projects out there that are trying to build these like federated chains to, to be able to do that. So like once you enter them, because you have this thing called the travel rule, which I'm sure you're having to follow up with. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's basically like attaching I, I that, IDs, I think right? The fundamental issue is that the regulator treats blockchains and, and exchanges and, and regulated platforms just like they treat banks. They don't understand that there's an upside in having a, a blockchain that basically shows the history of the transaction. They, they don't work with that, right? So for them, it's always, they treat the exchange just the same way. And so for them, they don't understand that there's a difference between bringing a million dollars cash into the bank where there's no history to that dollar note or sending non-custodial to custodial where you have the entire kind of track record, right? And I just think that the the regulator either doesn't doesn't want to understand that or maybe they still need some learning. I think that is the key because as soon as you can show to the regulator 
listen, like, yes, I'm bringing in a million dollars non-custodial onto an exchange, but just look at the track record. You can see where this is leading to. This is like 99.999% not laundered money, nothing illegal. You can actually see this on the blockchain. And to me, this should have the same legitimacy as if one exchange is sending funds to another exchange. So do you think, like, what will have more value down the road? Like, virgin Bitcoin or Bitcoin that's been sitting on a regulated exchange for most of its life? Depends. I think depends on the scenario. But that's Holy what I'm saying. Shit. I think it depends. I, I think it depends on what's what's the utility, right? I mean, value is, is, is a function of three things. It's utility times rarity times how many people agree on that. So what's the utility oh, in this like very that. moment? Do we live in a risk on world as we have done over the past 10 years? Then I think the, the, the Bitcoin or the UTXO that's actually controlled by the exchange is more valuable. But as soon as we go more into a censorship kind of driven world, then the UTXO that's fresh, virgin, non-custodial suddenly becomes more valuable because the utility goes up and can't be censored. That's at least me. That's why I always think you need to have both. You need to have like, like yeah, but you need to be on, on, on centralized platforms. You need to be on non-custodial. I, I really think so because of that. Because the utility, it depends. I really think it depends. If, yeah, if really we're cool. living in a, in a Ukraine kind of scenario, uh, Canada scenario, you want to be off exchanges. Like you want to. But if you want to be risk on, then like in, in many jurisdictions, then I think exchanges are, are almost better because you're faster, you can get in and out, you're already on. Speaking of which, though, you're paying people to learn a lot of this stuff on Kig DeFi. How, how does that work? It's uh so I mean you go we offer a Bitcoin course uh, we offer a DeFi chain course which is a a fork of Bitcoin for DeFi on Bitcoin um, we're gonna launch an Ethereum course uh, we want to do this for many many blockchains and then we pay them either five dollars in, in DeFi chain or five dollars in Bitcoin um, at the end uh, it's obviously a marketing tool um, it works really 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 well for marketing um, at the same time it educates people. It obviously then incentivizes them uh, to learn more, to kind of get used to that. Um, we tie the funds for 30 days onto our platform and we put it into a product where they get yield. So uh, oh, that's really every, cool. twice a day, they get an email, like they get a message, you just got yield and so on. So people kind of see how it works for 30 days, right? So, I mean, they have no risk. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you spend, I, I, I mean, if you know your stuff about Bitcoin, the quiz takes you a minute. If you're completely fresh, then it takes you maybe 10, 15 minutes because you need to understand a bit. Uh, but so for 15 minutes, you get $5. Let's say worst case scenario, Bitcoin goes down 50% over a month, which is insane. But let's say worst case, okay, then you're only getting $2.50, but it's unlikely that this happens. And at the same time, you, yeah, you got rewards like in the various protocols um, every 12 hours. And it's just been working as a fantastic marketing tool for us. and. I think it's actually one of the number one drivers for people to start on the platform. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this because other companies are going to copy that. No, it's but really I mean, it's cool. nothing it's new, right? Coinbase is doing this as well and so on. No, it's a, it's honestly, it's a, it's a brilliant way because you're teaching people, but you're also like forcing them into the product, but they're getting something for free. I'm building, remember I was telling you earlier in the show that I was, that I, I was working with my writers to talk more about yield and how most yields can be free just by learning things. And I'm going to include this now in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the articles that I write because a lot of people can just, can just earn by learning, earn to learn. I mean, but, people um, don't need to deposit a single dollar, yeah, nothing, great. right? There's no strings attached. The only thing they need to do in order to withdraw, we have to do that from a legal and compliance standpoint. They have to uh, go through KYC. We're just not allowed otherwise to let them withdraw. But like, there's no strings attached. You go through the quiz, you pass your KYC, you you get your funds. That's really cool. And what what other types of yield do you, you do you offer? What um uh uh what percentages and is it only like single assets or do you have to be holding different type of uh, like vaults? It depends. So on staking and lending, um you can do as on lending you can do Bitcoin, Ethereum, and and stable coins as Tether and uh, USDC. Um. Yeah, at the moment, lending rates are relatively low just because demand yeah. is also relatively low. Uh, staking uh, depends on the blockchain, goes from 5 to, I think, 40%, maybe 35%. Um, these are single coins. And then when you go to liquidity mining, um, again, uh, quick disclaimer, lending not available to uh, U.S. citizens. 
um, if you go to liquidity mining there, you need to have pairs. So there you always need to have two coins. So you have oh, impermanent loss risk. If, if you're new to DeFi and, and people ask me all the time, I think it's like number one question on Twitter when people just ask me on, on the YouTube videos, my answer is always start with staking and lending. It's so like your single asset, you don't have the volatility risk. Um, like you're trusting this one asset. And then the next thing is like dabble around with liquidity mining, um, probably like a stable coin and a crypto or a Bitcoin and another crypto. Because these are like the most fundamental kind of pairs um, because people always want to go from one crypto into a stable coin or from Bitcoin into another coin. Um, and then after that, then you can go into decentralized tokenization. This is where it gets like really bonkers because then yeah. now suddenly you have like the Tesla, you have the price oracle, you have the crypto volatility, you have the rewards, the implemented loss. But this is where, I mean, this is where people make 80, 90% on their, on their the assets, but just super volatile. It's so cool. It's, it's the, it's, I, I think that this is a huge, because I look at Cake DeFi and I'm not looking at so much so as the products and the interest that you can offer now, but I'm looking at it towards the future, right? So I'm saying, okay, so you built out this whole product platform, beautiful, beautiful user interface, very easy for people to browse, navigate, understand, right? Like a nicer than any bank that I've ever used. But then I'm like, okay, so the products right now just service it's crypto for crypto or it's crypto for people that are interested in crypto. But in the future, you're going to be when you buy a house and you get a mortgage, the mortgage company is going to issue you an NFT and you're going to be able to deposit that NFT into Cake DeFi and potentially earn yield or potentially borrow against it. And that's just that your college diploma you potentially can have value there as you go through different schooling, potentially relationship management you know, cultural assets, things like that will all be on blockchains. And it's like, that's how kind of I see what will be incorporated into Cake DeFi in the future. Do you, do you see the same thing? A million percent. I mean, for us, the, the future is really what I had mentioned before. It's really, you come to us and you come with one asset. It can be dollars, right? Let's say you come with a stable coin and all you want is you want to have low volatility, but an acceptable return on that. Or you want to, I don't know, you want to go more into, like you mentioned, more into the real estate kind of sector. You want to go more into decentralized assets. You want to have exposure to what the Tesla, the Disney, the whatever, S&P 500. And, and you want to have this exposure, right? And the algorithm automatically kind of gives you like a selection process based on the volatility you're accepting. And then you kind of see expected returns based on the last, whatever, 12, 24, 36 months. That's kind of the, the vision that we want to get done by the end of the year. Um, yeah, so we started with the individual streams. At the moment, they're not as interconnected yet as I want them to be. So the customer has to like really kind of know step-by-step what they're doing. By the end of the year, like we're still not making decisions for the customer, but we just kind of want to guide them into what's actually happening if they click a certain button or if they go a certain direction. And it's really more automated and really straightforward. It seems like you've taken like almost like a moral... Uh, uh imperative or like you've taken it almost like it's a moral duty for you to make sure, like you just said, to say, you said, uh, we're not going to, going to like influence their decision or make sure, but you know, or tell them what to do, but we want to make sure what happens if they do go follow through with a certain decision. And I think that's very important to happen in the crypto space because, you know, losing all your money is always just a click away. A hundred percent. I mean, no, a hundred percent for us. And, and I think, look, we have close to a million customers. The reason we do have so many customers and the drop-off rate of customers that we have is like negligibly tiny. Amazing. Once people are on the platform, they start using it, they keep using it. And the reason is the way we make money. The way we make money is a cut on people's rewards. There's no base fee, right? So if you don't make money, we don't make money. And that is absolutely key. So we also don't want to list projects that like work well for two months and then they're gone. We want to like work on things that work long-term because at the end, that's where we are going to make most of the money long-term as well. So we sit exactly in the same boat. Um, and I think that's important. If you look at most exchanges, they actually don't allow their customers to be on the platform, um, their, their employees, because they have like inside information that they could trade against other customers and so on. For us, there's nothing of that sort, right? And I, I, yeah. So again, and the other thing is we are not a black box. So in comparison to all the other platforms, we post every blockchain transaction Every node, everything is like trackable, the pools, everything. So we basically kind of say, okay, sure, you still have to trust us with your private keys, 
but you can see every single step on the blockchain. You like everything is published. You see everything. And obviously for, for customers, that is at least a, a, a bit of an acceptable trade-off. Do you think there'll be ways to do better DeFi with Bitcoin on, on the protocol itself on top of Bitcoin? Or do you think it'll just be remain like secondary services? I mean, you're always going to die one death. Either you're going to have some kind of bridge between Bitcoin and our protocol, and then there's like always a danger there. Um, or obviously you have some rep version where you need to trust the custodian um, or the, the consortium. I don't know. I, to, I mean, again, I, from everything I understand about Bitcoin, and I mean, I, I, I'm not an engineer that I would be able to code, but everything that I read about Bitcoin, it's the functionality is too limited that you could have any kind of trustless solution in order to add like 100% capabilities to Bitcoin. It's almost though it was a, a feature by design and not a limitation sure. to, to I'm, I'm create. Not, I'm not criticizing that. No, right? I know so you're I'm not, not criticizing I'm, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I'm thinking out loud because I honestly, I've been trying to solve this problem for like 10 years to be able to do, you do more. I was thinking about when I was running BitInstant, I was thinking about why, like, how can we do more things on the protocol? But back then, to do anything on the protocol, you had to like write it yourself. You had uh, yep. this was before most of these libraries and and different. You know, this was before Bitcoin was even included in 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 Linux. You had to like install it yourself. Oh my god, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I broke so many computers. So I broke so many Linux operating systems trying to install like dependencies. I gave up. Like. Like I, I just, just learning Python, that was easy, but then like, uh, uh, you know, compiling and then like, I know a lot of developers are going to say, Charlie, you're, come on, you could have figured this out. But then like every time I'd go down this like library or dependency hole where it's like to install one thing, you need another thing. So I go install that, but I needed something else and it never ended. So building Bitcoin and building and using the command line interface, the original Satoshi code was actually the first time I felt like how I was using something that worked. I was like, wait, I can do this. I can actually build the code here, compile it, run the software. And I was just looking, uh, I was going through Bitcoin, Bitcoin's like version history, but, I, but maybe that's, that's for the better because, because a lot of the times you see these like hacks and holes and things like that end up breaking. I mean, we listed DeFi chain, which is like a Bitcoin fork and it basically expanded on the function set that Bitcoin has when it comes to, to decentralized finance. But again, also that is not like, it, it doesn't have native Bitcoin on the blockchain. Also that has rep versions. The, the only difference because it is uh, a fork, it actually links quite well together, but there's still like, you still have trusted intermediaries. And I don't know. I, I just, I mean, it's the same as, as, there needs to be a decentralized way to do it. There has to be a way to, it's not just Bitcoin, it's all these blockchains. It's, it's if you, you know, you, you build out the, this, the, the, the software tools to be able to, to connect them all together. But if they're not built like that from the outset, it's going to be a crazy future. And honestly, like bear markets scare me because that's where tribalism really flourishes. And that's where yeah. like the, 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 the conviction is good, but it's like the, the negativity, and we've seen that in the past year or so. I think we've, we've been—I think honestly, we've been going through this bear market the past year or so. People don't realize it because they're always waiting for it to come, but we've been kind of going through it. I mean, the fundamental issue is just that, uh, uh, and like uh, a private key cannot be stored in a in any kind of smart contract. That just doesn't work. And so, in Bitcoin, you would need to have some functionality there where. The private key could be stored somehow in, in an atomic swap or something. And, and that just doesn't work. So you always have this, this issue that you have someone who controls a connection to their blockchain. I don't know. Maybe with Lightning, there's some advancement there how, how that can be added on. Lightning can work really well if, if the majority of, of, of channels and are decentralized and or using like like behind tour because like you like we were kind of going back to the earlier part of the show if the centralized like walled garden you know centralized crypto world is larger than the decentralized world where it's like it can't flourish 
then it becomes like a small section of it. Then that's just going to be taken over by like the dark world. And we don't want to see that happen. Scammers and fraudsters will run, run wild there in that decentralized world. We saw that with, with the early days of Bitcoin. The early days of Bitcoin was like fun and it was great. And everyone was using it for really great things, but we were very quickly disenfranchised. We couldn't get bank accounts. And what happened? Silk Road, things like that started to appear. And a lot of hacks and scams. Uh, it wasn't until like the world started to take us seriously again in 2015 did that epic like two-year bear market finally end. Uh, let, let me ask you a, a discussion point that I had with, um, with actually a regulator in Europe. And that regulator asked me that we had this very long discussion about FA, like travel rule and so on. And then that person asked me, Julian, what do you think is a part the regulator actually doesn't do much where you think the regulator should do a bit more? And my answer was, I actually think if we want to attract even more capital or we want to like appease people a bit more, I think the price manipulation on exchanges where whales go like build up large leveraged short positions, then dump the market, but it's basically net neutral for them. And then they kind of like buy the way back up and like they completely wipe out all the liquidity. It's like very, very, very clear price manipulation, which in crypto is no issue. But if this would be done, obviously, in any kind of security, you would, I mean, this is like absolutely illegal. This would be something where I feel larger funds, they would feel a bit more comfortable in actually investing because they don't feel like, like a bouncy ball from like some of those whales. Would you agree with that? Or would you be like, no, like, market should be like completely open let them kind of let let the whales kind of plunge around I, i'm not a securities or like market making expert i study this stuff every single day but there's so many people who know so much more than me but it would seem almost like the the blocking of the spot bitcoin etf well the blocking of really any spot crypto etf which i think there should be every crypto when they hit a certain level should have this like spot etf in, in every public market in the world, the blocking of that is counterintuitive because it's preventing the market manipulation from not happening. I was like, at, literally, it's so funny that you bring this up because so, so to, 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 to answer that, if they were to approve that, if you look at actually why Bitcoin on exchanges has been declining, like the amount of Bitcoin held on exchanges has been declining, it's because the futures market has been increasing because people fundamentally want to keep their capital in the same type of system that it's in. So, and you have to move them over over time. You can't force people into using like Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, and so you have, you have to let them kind of come on their own. And so if you have that ability to have that ETF, you'll remove a lot of that manipulation because the volume won't happen on these like decentralized or even centralized exchanges anymore. It'll happen on these very, very public markets, manipulation will go away. In fact, manipulation, oh my God, can I tell, I'll tell you two, two stories of manipulation right now. First of all, as I was making this coffee before we started the show, I was literally smiling to myself of what I think is happening in the Bitcoin markets. And I think it's just, I think it's stop loss hunting. So right now, if I look at the past few weeks, it's 100% man manipulation. Price, it goes up. Then everyone creates all these shorts, prices go down, and then everyone increases their shorts because they think we're in the bear market. And then at the, at the public market open, like someone like today or tomorrow, as long as the world is not going through like a shitter, you see them just a little, put the price up a little bit because you can almost detect where the shorts were open. Uh, all that data is available. And then they pump the price up and they, they, they stop the shorts. Like that happens in the traditional world too, but it takes a lot more money and it's all public meaning that all the companies that do it have to expose their financial. And I know everyone's like, Wall Street is a fraud. And I, I know, but it's, it's kind of annoying that it happens in, in manipulation. Um, and the second thing about that was, yeah, someone told me a story once how he ran uh, an Israeli company, I forgot what it was, ran a, a binary options trading site for Bitcoin. Like, like you could bet on if the price was going to go up or down. I used it a lot too. I love doing, I'm like addicted to gambling sometimes. <laughs> but uh <laughs> But, but what happened was, this is how like small, so, so first of all, the Bitcoin market at the time was the largest, like Bitcoin, the largest trading by volume. There were some other little cryptos that existed, but Bitcoin trading was the largest. And at the time, Bitfinex had the most volume. So this guy would bet a bunch of Bitcoin on where their price would go up. 
And then he'd go in and like put up all these walls to make sure the price wouldn't go up, right? To win his bet. And I'm saying this industry was so small back then that you literally could have someone like manip- one person manipulating on one side, like one small company and one exchange. So it's getting better. It takes time. Satoshi talked about the years 2035 and the years 2140. We're only in 2022. It's going to take a long time. This whole thing is moving like very, very fast. So I agree with you. It's like, we're just not there yet. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I mean, if we go down that route, right, then, I mean, yeah, we are just going to become like them. Like, that's always a bit of what I, I don't know. I always kind of, when we have town hall, like we have 120 employees in the company. And when we're at town hall, I always like, remember, we started this because we don't want to become like them. Like, I, I, I kind of, yeah, just want to, I don't know. I always feel like it's such a... So how do you not... Yeah, yeah. No, I, again, I always say, and that's why it's, yeah, it's the small things where you push back, right? It's this, is what when, I, this is what I respond. What you're doing is you're giving people financial literacy. And that's the, that's the best gift you can give to anyone. Honestly, how to, main, how to manage like your family, sovereignty, personal wealth, be able to put food on your family's plate and give them that security that the food is going to come every day. That's the best gift that you can ever give someone. And that's what you're giving. And you're paying them to do that. So that's what you're doing differently. You think the bank cares? They don't want you to be financially literate. They want you to be stupid. They want you to pay yeah. them fees for depositing checks in a mobile app. They want you to pay fees every time you get your, your direct deposit, every time you want to send a transfer. For what? So they can build nice branches and they can merge with each other and offer coffee and, and, and new signs. It's like, for what? That's my answer to make you help you sleep at night. If that's a uh, town hall, <laughs> it is it is a good point. But I think it's always like it, it comes down to small things, right? I I think it's it it really comes down to like certain. I always think like that like such a a a a good story. I just want to share here. So I'm originally from Austria, Europe, and there's this. I don't know if you've ever met this shoe company. It's a shoe company where the where the soles are not flat, but they're like wobbly. And so the idea behind this was if you kind of walk in these orthopedic shoes, like it, it, it changes your gait and it just kind of fixes a lot of the imbalances in your hip and so on. And the shoe company became a multi-billion Wait, dollar company Wait, does it work? Because I have like a hip problem. It does. It, it, it does. It, it's really fantastic. That's why I'm so sitting on this ball. What's the name of the yeah, shoe? No, no. Um, but don't forget the story. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up and I'll send it to you. Uh, what the name is. I, I, I don't know the, the name right now, but it became a multi-billion, close to a billion dollars. Let's say it this way, close to a billion dollars. Now, here's the funny thing. Um, I talked to the CEO of that company, and then I asked him, what mistakes did he do? And he said, one of the biggest mistakes or biggest regrets that he ever had was hiring people from Adidas, hiring people from Nike, hiring people from Puma. And that was surprising to me. And I said, why? And he said, because it made us become a shoe company, and we're not a shoe company. And it was, and then I said, and, and how did you notice this? And he says, I'm not sure. Like it wasn't this one specific thing where I could be like, this is what made us shoe company. And that was for me, that's oh, always no. sitting with me today where I'm like, I like, like it's yeah, those small right. subtle things. Right. And so that's always what I kind of tell. That's why I, like that kind of but sticks we have in my culture. mind. We have yeah, crypto exactly, culture, right? it's Bitcoin small culture. Things. It's super, it's the small things are the big things. Right. So you sit there and you're like, remember, we don't want to become like them. Like I don't want to hire someone from a large bank that then brings banking culture into our company. And, and I'm just always, I'm religious about, about culture. And I, that kind of always sticks with me. I love that. Honestly, that's the most, thank you. Cause that, uh, we just had another guest on the show, uh, Aaron Koenig. And we talked about this exact thing, the soul of, of crypto culture, the soul of Bitcoin. Without that, then, then we're just another shoe company. Exactly. Right. And, and yes, we're regulated. Yes, we have to do KYC. Yes, we have to do all these things. But we can still be different. And it's the same. Like, yes, you still put this onto your feet, but it's still different. It's not Nike. Right. It's not Adidas. Like, we don't go by that team. And, and I, yeah, that kind of stuck with me and, and it's still with me today. So, yeah. What, what are some ways that you like to follow crypto culture? Do you, I love, like, you have a sticker on your laptop. I have some too. Like, I love crypto swag. I love going to some of the events, participating in, in social media and things like that. I hope, I hope Elon Musk, I can't, I don't want to comment on Twitter because then I'm going to get canceled from Twitter. 
and I use Twitter to promote this show. So I'll just no, stop. dude. Isn't that like I thought? It's just <laughs> I thought we got confirmed ten minutes ago. Like I seriously, we've been doing the show. Like, I haven't checked. It, it get that no, great. Like ten minutes. I think ten minutes before we started the show or something. There was like, like shit, real time. Know. Yeah, because I was like, okay, <laughs> let me go on Charlie's show and like let me just check the latest news. So like I I kind of know what's happening, and then like it was all over. Ah, oh, like board approves Elon's uh, offer. So I don't know. Maybe I'm like completely wrong here. Uh, but yeah. I always loved, I always loved, I remember like in debate, I took, so the reason I, I fundamentally, I love Twitter. I got a Twitter account in 2009 and I always like focused on just Twitter. What I always loved about Twitter was something that I learned in debate. I took debate in like elementary school or something. And they were like, Charlie, the point of debate is not to like convince the other person or blah, 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 it's blah, blah, the blah. audience, huh? It's the audience. <laughs> and he says, it's, but it's also like in the, in a finite amount of time. He said like, you have, you have like a clock that starts. So you got to like formulate all of your thoughts. And there's like an ADHD brain, right? All of your ideas, all of your thoughts and like present it in a very public way that can never be deleted because people, your classmates will remember everything you said. Right. And that was like Twitter, 140 characters. You have to like very, so I always liked, and I thought that's why Twitter was great. Was there wasn't like an unlimited and it's like you said, What's value? Do you, can you remind us what, what you said? You said value is, is, is utility. utility times rarity times the number of people who agree on that rare utility. I think that's like, that's like the best lesson you could leave off me and the listeners with is like, always look to that, uh, that in everything that you do, any asset buy assets, not liabilities. Really great. Thank you for doing the show today. Dr. Julian Haas. What a, what an amazing cake DeFi. Uh, as an American, what can I do? So like uh, you can is- use, you can do everything except for lending just because okay. uh, the SEC has put out a lot of guidance there and we don't want to. Uh, that's coming yeah, to, that's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of resolution with that in the coming year for, for two reasons. One of them, the administration talked about how it's going to be very important recently, but also because elections are coming up and, and although Bitcoin and crypto is not bipartisan, it is becoming one as the Republicans and the right are looking to be very more pro crypto than, than the left, which it should not be a partisan thing. It should be, it should transcend that. But, but yeah, you'll see crypto start to be captured by different people. So that'll, maybe we'll get some, some goodness out of that, some free will, some goods, some gifts. I appreciate yeah, it. I, I think it would be great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Vienna was actually the city that I visited the most out of any other. I love like, I was I, before COVID. I love Austria. I love you guys. My best friend Tom is, he's he's uh, he's Austrian, and we've known each other for almost my whole adult life and everything like that. What a great what a great place. You guys, you have to give a very good fundamental understanding. Being on like the cusp of East and West your whole life, and kind of living at the gate, right? You get that almost like understanding of of both sides, and I think that's a very good quality. Thanks for coming on Untold Stories. Appreciate it. Thank you.